Welcome to a rather contrary compare-contrast between the words of two quite interesting contrarians. I bet you'll never have listened to a podcast that takes the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson and sets them up against the rather liberal and at times way off theologian William Barclay, who I still happen to love quite a bit. Let me tell you what I find incredibly depressing. I, I, I hate when I'm reading in a great thinker, an Emerson, who in this essay I'm about to read from, Self-Reliance, probably one of the greatest essays in American history, I get so sad when I read brilliant words that are describing the life of the church way back in the middle, even the beginning of the 19th century. And what I read there is something that I could read just as well today. There's nothing that gets down into my belly and makes it so unhappy than to think that we have not learned our lessons in the ensuing 150, 160 years. So I want to read to you from Self-Reliance. And I know it can be controversial in the body of Christ when we think uh, in the same channels as people like an Emerson, who I, again, like Barclay, I happen to love. But I want you to listen, then I'll chat a little bit about what he said, and then we'll go to the other contrarian, to Barclay. This is Ralph Waldo Emerson. If you maintain a dead church, contribute to a dead Bible society, Vote with a great party either for the government or against it. Spread your table like base house housekeepers. Under all these screens, I have difficulty to detect the precise man you are. And, of course, so much force is withdrawn from your proper life. But do your work, and I shall know you. Do your work, and you shall reinforce yourself. A man must consider what a blind man's bluff is this game of conformity. If I know your sect, I anticipate your argument. I hear a preacher announce for his text and topic the expediency of one of the institutions of his church. Do I not know beforehand that not possibly can he say a new and spontaneous word? Do I not know that... With all this ostentation of examining the grounds of the institution, he will do no such thing. Do I not know that he has pledged to himself not look but at one side, the permitted side, not as a man, but as a parish minister? He is a retained attorney, and these heirs of the bench are the emptiest affectation. Well, most men have bound their eyes with one or another handkerchief, and attached themselves to some one of these communities of opinion. This conformity makes them not false in a few particulars, author of a few lies, but false in all particulars. Their every truth is not quite true. Now my hope, as I was reading that to you, and I'm well aware as I read it, that it's a little risky. Because I'm not saying that there's no such thing as orthodoxy. I'm not saying that there are things about Jesus that we absolutely know that we know that we know. But what Emerson is getting at, as he sat there in Concord, Massachusetts, is that when he walked into the first United Methodist Church there, and the pastor said, I'm going to examine this topic, 
Emerson could anticipate exactly what was going to be said because it was the received idea of Christianity rather than the practical, uh, applied reality of the truth of Jesus. It's partisanship. It's being, again, as we often talk about in the anchor and the union meetings, it's being denominational and thinking at the heart level rather than being only about that bearded man from Nazareth, Jesus. I love in there when Emerson says, do your work, believe, encounter the man, actually follow things like the Sermon on the Mount, and then you shall reinforce yourself. I love that phrase, do your work. Because what is our work according to the way of the gospel? It's to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is to throw our entire identity and self-worth and everything about ourselves into the blood of the cross, be set free, and then live free. But when we become partisan, and I mean that in the body, and I mean it even politically, when we become partisan spirits, when you can anticipate our arguments simply by us uh, saying, I am this, I am that, you're undercutting opportunity for the Holy Spirit to make use of your life in completely unexpected ways. So that's my first contrarian, good old Ralph Waldo Emerson. How about the second, William Barclay? Again, quite a liberal theologian. I totally disagree with him about uh, the miracles and some of the signs and wonders of Jesus. But sometimes when he's writing of Jesus, it's the most beautiful writing I've ever read. I can tell that this man was not uh, any less enamored with Jesus than some of the most conservative theologians I've ever read. So because Ralph Waldo just said that when we become partisan in spirit around these things of Jesus, that last phrase, their every truth is not quite true. I want you to listen to Barclay on truth. Listen, he wrote, Jesus said, I am the truth. This phrase has more than one background against which it becomes meaningful. It has a Greek background. In Greek, the word aletheia has a double sense. It means truth as distinguished from falsehood, and it means that which is real and genuine as opposed to that which is unreal and counterfeit. If we take it in a combination of both these meanings, it means that in Jesus we come face to face with truth and reality. In him we penetrate beyond the guesses and the gropings, beyond the perhapses and the maybes, and arrive at the truth. We pass beyond the counterfeits and the substitutes, the imitations and the shadows, and arrive at reality. Because Jesus is the truth, he alone can tell us about God and bring us into the things which are real. Vincent Taylor says that Jesus is the truth because, quote, revelation is embodied in his person. To say that Jesus is the truth is at one and the same time to say that Jesus is the incarnation of fidelity, the revelation of reality, and the pattern of goodness. Friends, what was Emerson trying to get at? He was trying to get at that phrase from the beginning of Barclay. He was talking about things that are unreal and counterfeit. 
But when you and I wake up in the morning, when we recall that just like the original apostles, it is our job to encounter, just like they did, they rolled over in their sleeping bag and there was Jesus. And they said, Jesus, what are we doing today? That's our job to encounter him, to ask of him what he would have us do for this day, and then to go do it. To walk out of the next thing you're doing with your eyes wide open for what the kingdom of heaven is doing to break through in this world, to say, Holy Spirit, is there a word I'm supposed to give to this person? That person over there, should I pray for a healing? Lord Jesus, how would I be like your friends living it out in the book of Acts today? Well, first things first, let's stop being partisan. Let's stop associating ourselves in such a way that the only way we can think of ourselves is, I'm a charismatic. I'm a conservative. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm Roman Catholic. Let's stop that. You and I are followers of Jesus, who is one. The body of Christ can only be made up of those who become one with him, with him as our head. So, what if we could prove Ralph Waldo wrong? What if we were absolutely unanticipatable? What if we said, I'd like to speak of Jesus today, and no one had any idea where this conversation might go? That was the lifeblood of the early church. That was the way of the Holy Spirit in the first generation. And I believe we can recapture that spirit today. Because that Holy Spirit has not changed nor has the Savior who has set us free. Let's go live it today. Let's be unexpected. And let's show the world that there are many surprises up the sleeve of the body of Christ. Thanks so much for listening.